Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the April 11th, 2019 edition of the Colorful Plates podcast. Thank you for tuning in. As promised, today's podcast features Jamie's full interview with Chef Jen Lewis, James Beard award-winning cookbook author and restaurateur. Jen Lewis calls the Northwest her home, and her passion for cooking comes from her time spent there, as well as her extensive travel across the globe, especially in Israel. Jen touches on her journey to becoming a chef and what inspires her to keep cooking. So tell us a little bit uh, about how and why you became a chef. Let's start there. You know, uh, becoming a chef wasn't really an option when I was younger. I graduated from college and I went to a private liberal arts college and I grew up in a pretty conservative family and cooking wasn't really ever presented to me. Mm-hmm. After college, I got a job just kind of on a fluke, uh, cooking and, and kind of what was expected of me is to be a teacher or maybe a social worker and then have kids and, you know, just very traditional lifestyle. And it didn't totally work for me. And after I got this job cooking, um, kind of on a fluke, I, I, my whole world changed. It, it was the creativity that I'd always wanted but I couldn't draw and I couldn't paint. Mm -hmm. So I just started thinking really differently and it made me really excited. And from there I decided to go to culinary school and it was the, you know, the, the most creative and energetic thing that I'd ever done. It was wonderful. Yeah. So where did you go to culinary school and what position did you start out as in the kitchen? Well, I went to a little school that doesn't exist any longer in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a fine school. Typically with culinary school, it's really, it's about what you do when you get out, getting your hands in and getting your hands dirty and, uh, learning how to cook. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a never ending process and, and you can specialize in being really, you know, really good at one thing or you can continue to learn about all the facets of cooking, which is, you know, all different ethnicities and vegetables and meats and pastas and grains. And like, there's just so much it's, there's so much learning to be done that there's always more to know and more to experience and definitely more to taste. Speaking of the unique and adventurous dishes you just, you mentioned earlier. So your former restaurants, you are really creative with your dishes. So what inspires you to think outside of the box when creating them? Well, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those cooks. It doesn't work for me to have like specialize in one thing, but I also really like to delve, you know, really deep into one thing. Um, and I think what inspires me is travel. I love traveling. I've had a great fortune to be able to travel all over, all over the world. And I think that different ingredients and different lifestyles and different uh, ways of eating and sharing food and sharing experience is really cool. And I think that sometimes there's, um, food from different cultures that really overlap in a really beautiful way. And it can be very elegant um, or it can be very choppy. And so it's, it's finding that elegance between some of the different uh, ingredients. It's like the same thing of uh, like a, like an artist palette of if you're a, um, a painter and you paint with oil paints and all of a sudden somebody gives you some pastels and paper and wants you to make a masterpiece. And you're like, Oh my God, how do you use this? It's that creativity of, well, how does this work and how does it apply to what I can understand? So I did a little research on you, um, on your Instagram, and it looks like you just got back from Israel. Um, yeah. How was that trip? Because I would love to, that's like one of my top places to go in the next five years. And why did you, was this just for fun or for research or for everything? Like, why did you decide to go to Israel? 
Well, this is my fifth trip to Israel. I, I oh. love the country and it is, it's most people in America have no clue what's actually going on there because it's so diverse. It's walking on the street. It's, it's, it's like being in New York City. It's people from all over the world who have moved there, usually for, for religious purposes. Um, mm -hmm. but within Jews there, it's 70% secular in Israel. Mm -hmm. So it's very different than what people think, but the food culture is crazy rich and deep and intense and delicious. You've got a huge Arabic culture and the, the flatbreads, the flatbreads of the Middle East and North Africa, because they were nomadic cultures, the flatbread culture is super rich. Israeli breakfast, because Israeli, uh, when, when Israel was being uh, formed as a, as a, you know, a Jewish state, they didn't mm -hmm. have anything there. And they had, you know, just their farms that they would, would, you know, be on in the morning. And so there became this thing called Israeli breakfast, which was, you know, some different cheeses. The cheese culture there is, is insane. They're, they're just delicious. And so you'd have all these cheeses and you'd have fresh uh, salads for breakfast and you'd have beautiful pastries and just, you know, smoked and cured fish. And it's just a amazing, just the richness of Yemenite food and Egyptian food and Libyan food. And it's so legit because it's such a young country. That's amazing. They have an up and coming wine scene there too, don't oh, they? Yeah. yeah. Um, this, this is my fifth trip to Israel and I've been going for over 20 years, maybe 25 years. And the wine scene has completely changed from the early days. Mm -hmm. Israelis are big travelers and they, they live abroad, um, for chunks of time. And a lot of them have studied wine all over the world and. They're world-class facilities, and the wines are just delicious. They haven't gotten recognition quite yet, but um, it's really just a wonderful, wonderful community. So we're going to shift just a little bit um, about let's let's talk about what inspired you to write the Book of Greens. Mm, well, that was my second book, okay. and um, I wanted to write a, a vegetable book, but there's so many great vegetable books out there. I I didn't feel like I could do something new. In, in the realm of what had been done so far. And so then, you know, kind of like that thing of like liking to dive deep. You know, I wrote a book about pasta and it was a very specific book about dumplings and like, like gnocchi and things like gnocchi all over the country, but that hadn't really been talked about because, uh, Italy is such a, uh, you know, Italy's only a hundred years younger than the U.S. as a unified culture. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> and so it's, it was a really fun book. So I got to really dive deep into all these different handmade pastas that, you know, some people had never heard of or hadn't been out of some of the little nooks and crannies of um, the countryside. And then I wanted to do something deep like that again. And so I chose a very specific facet of uh, vegetables as greens. And again, it goes back to that travel thing that I love of, you know, going to the, you know, Asian markets in, you know, throughout Asian country. And they, there's so many different cool greens there and how yeah. different cultures all over the world eat greens in all of their foods. But we seem to eat them as a side or a salad. It was a really cool, creative way to say, how do we uh, incorporate more greens into our diet? How do we learn what the greens are that we're getting at the farmer's market that are pretty unique to us? Because when I was a kid, it was like romaine and cabbage and kale was only on deli platters as a garnish. So mm -hmm. 
how do we, how do we learn about all these things that we could be eating? And, yeah. you know, people kept coming to my restaurant saying, Hey, I got this, at the farmer's market. What do I do with it? And it was mm-hmm. fun to share with them. This is what you do. Yeah. So what under underrated greens would you like to see have a stronger appearance in America? Well, I think we're doing a really good job, actually. I think that I kind of break them down into like the stuff you buy at the regular grocery store, the stuff that you buy at the fancy grocery store, the stuff that you go to the farmer's market for, and then the stuff that you grow in your own garden. And so Mm. I think the tricked out stuff that you grow in your garden is really fun, Um, whether it be greens or vegetables, the things that you can't find other places. Um, I grow like Spanish tarragon and, you know, Vietnamese coriander and, um, you know, you know, all those stuff, all those things that you don't typically find. And it's fun to share little snippets with, with friends who have gardens so that we can, you know, exchange and have different, different gardens that, that are, are unique and ingredients that are unique. But I think we're doing a really good job of more, uh, chicories. So the bitter greens, those are challenging flavors for, for, for Americans, bitter. And I think we're doing a really good job at, at growing more, uh, more bitter greens, especially Italians. Um, I think we have cool heirloom varieties of cabbage, um, mm-hmm. uh, lots of different kinds of romaines because we love those. They're crunchy and watery and delicious. And yeah. I think we're finding a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Asian greens. I, I, we have so many wonderful Asian grocery stores, uh, and being able to, um, have those deep, rich Asian greens are delicious. But I think we're doing a much better job at, growing more and having a bigger variety and going to farmers markets and trying things that are are pretty unique and uh, not typical for the for the average american. Okay, so in terms of menu planning, it's pretty clear you use fresh a lot of fresh local produce. What do you what are the benefits and challenges for this type of approach when you go into plan your menu? Well, you know, I think that I think that produce, um, you know, I'm, I, I've lived in the Northwest. I've lived on the West Coast most of my life and I've lived in the Northwest for over 20 years. So when I look at, at menu planning, I think about the season and I think mm-hmm. about the season because whatever is in season produce wise is what your body needs at that time. Like there's a reason that citrus season is in the winter time because we need that citrus for, for, you know, extra vitamin C for colds and keeping our immune system really healthy. So I try to go with what is seasonal. And the thing is, is what's seasonal is typically not for the cold or states, but it's typically what is, is local because yeah. where I live, we, you know, we grow enough stuff year round, um, you know, where I live or, or on the West coast. And I know it's harder on the East coast, but, um, trying to think about whether those things that are seasonal that are being grown, you know, as close to, to you as they can be and providing the best nutrition, uh, for your body and your health. Yeah. That's a very interesting way to look at seasonal produce. I literally have never thought about the fact that your body needs citrus and greens in the winter. Really yeah. ingenious. My friend, I, I grew up in Southern California and my friend um, from Southern California just moved up to Portland and this is her first winter and she's freezing and she doesn't know what to eat. And so I told her, I'm like, go to the grocery store and get some braising greens and get some like really good garnet yams and, and start cooking with the stuff because your body's going to feel really good. It's what your body wants to eat right now. And yeah. it worked. So 
What piece of advice would you give chefs looking to experiment with fresh, potentially unexpected exotic ingredients, not typically American? What I do is when I'm working with something new, um, I give myself a lot of leeway to fail and that's okay. Failing is part of learning and, you know, in every part of of life, that's going to make you better at what you do. So just be cool with that. Um, yeah. and try something small. And, you know, I'd say a lot, uh, a lot of stuff that I would do at my restaurants actually came from me cooking on my weekends at home. I'm like, Oh, that'd be great. And then I'd kind of tweak mm-hmm. it to fit the restaurant, but think about what it is, whether it be a, you know, a chicory, right? A, a, a bitter green. Well, if it's a little bit bitter, then you need to soften some of that bitterness. One, sometimes soaking, um, the green in some ice water for about half an hour and then drying it will take out some of that. But also pairing it with flavors that are are softer, like taking radicchio and maybe some endive, or endive and um, some chicories that might have a little bit more bitterness to them, and pairing them with a, a richer dressing, almost like a Caesar dressing. Um, yeah. I have a dressing I like to make that's like a Caesar, but I put a bunch of tarragon in it, and oh, wow. it pairs beautifully with some of the more bitter greens. And so learning how to balance those things. Um, Asian greens that are so delicious, they have a lot of flavor on their own. They don't need a ton of stuff. Um, they might need a little bit of salt. Like anchovies go really well with greens. So when, when you cook those, keep it really simple. Put them in some soups. Give them a little garlic, maybe something a little bit salty, um, whether it be anchovy or soy sauce. So those mm. kinds of things will go really nice with some of those darker greens. And so thinking about when you try something new, think about where it comes from. Try to learn a little, try it with its own ethnicity first, because mm-hmm. those flavors go nicely together and then be creative from there. Awesome. That's great advice. So is there anything new and exciting for you in the future? Are you working on anything? Or are you just hanging oh, out yeah. and sort of? I, I'm, I took a little sabbatical and it's funny because I thought I would like do absolutely nothing, uh, work related for a little while after I sold my last restaurant. And, um, that didn't happen. I, I did some traveling. I did some work traveling. I am writing another book, which is super fun. It's called the chicken soup manifesto. And it's about awesome. chicken soup all over the world and how there's so many recipes and, and types of chicken soup and flavors based on where they're from. Um, so that's really fun. And that will be out in 2020. It'll start out in the UK or uh, actually Australia in this, in our spring, their fall. And then yeah. UK and US in the fall of 2020. And I'm doing some consulting for some, um, food service operations and for, um, one of my favorite nonprofits. Uh, it's a, it's a foundation called Alex's Lemonade Stand and uh-huh. it raises money for pediatric cancer research. It's a phenomenal organization. So I'm, um, I'm working in lots of different facets and it's, yeah. it's really great. I'm having a great time. So if people want to follow along and my social media is at Jen Lewis, J-E-N-N-L-O-U-I-S. And I try to post stuff that I'm interested in and playing with and screwing around with. Keep an eye out for Jen's upcoming book, The Chicken Soup Manifesto. And in the meantime, follow her on Instagram for mouthwatering photos of what she's cooking. Thank you so much, Jen, for taking the time to speak with Colorful Plates about your journey and current endeavors. We'll see you guys next week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, stay fresh.